Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. Uh, it's been quite a, a minute or two since I did an episode. <clears throat> I was supposed to do one yesterday. I've been on the road, by the way. I've been I've been out of town. I just got back literally an hour or two ago. Um, and I was going to do one from the hotel room last night. I had all the, had all this stuff ready, highlighted, and uh, I don't know. There was too much noise in the hotel. I couldn't do it. So uh, and then when I closed out my my work, I didn't save it, so half of it was gone. So I was anyway. So I I got home about an hour or two ago. And I started kind of redoing everything. So now I'm doing an episode. And it's changed a little bit. Uh, I was going to do a quick episode about 30 minutes last night. But I think I'll still do a quick episode. I got rid of a couple of new stories. I got rid of some old stories. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven stories. Uh, One Ukraine story, two Ukraine stories, two UK stories, two Germany stories. And two U.S. stories. One of the U.S. stories is IBAS. IBAS is back in the news. And, you know, we can't resist an IBAS story. And what's the other U.S. story? Oh, javelins. Can't resist a javelin story either. <clears throat> so, we'll get started. But first of all is Ukraine. Uh, there was 9 May. This is a DOD release. 9 May. Uh, additional security assistance for Ukraine worth $1.2 billion under Ukraine security assistance initiative uh, capabilities in this package include additional air defense systems and munitions equipment to integrate western air defense launchers missiles and radars with ukraine's air defense systems that's number two uh, number three ammunition for counter unmanned aerial systems number four 155 millimeter artillery rounds no no surprise there uh number six commercial satellite imagery services number seven Support for training, maintenance, and sustainment activities, which we see quite often. So that's one, two, three, four, six things. Pretty expensive, though. One point two billion. Um, in that package is heavy air defense, right? Air defense systems, and munitions, equipment to integrate air defense systems, launchers, missiles, and radars, uh, ammunition for counter unmanned aerial systems. So a lot of air defense stuff there. Plus one five five artillery. I assume. This is me assuming, uh, you know, we don't really get into the tactical operational part of the, the war between Russia and Ukraine. We most, mostly focus on materiel, materiel with an E. Um, I guess there's an offensive coming. Uh, offensive, a counteroffensive, I don't know. Supposedly they have, a, they have a problem with the mud in the spring over there, and now we're getting from spring to summer, and, and that's going to clear up. Uh, apparently so anyway that's it for uh, Ukraine and the next story is related to Ukraine it is a UK story and if I can pull it up here stand by let me pull it up okay I have it here this is from defense news uh, 11 May uh, Ukraine gets British long-range missile gets 
British long-range missiles ahead of counteroffensive. Andrew Chutter, C-H-U-T-E-R. And here we go. Britain has donated a Storm Shadow cruise missiles to Ukrainian Air Force and a move widely seen as a game changer in Kiev's ability to mount long-range strikes against invading Russian forces. So this is a Storm Shadow cruise missiles for the Ukrainian Air Force. The decision to hand over a quantity of MVDA-built cruise missiles was announced by British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace on 11 May. Here's a quote. Storm Shadow is a long-range conventional precision strike capability. He said it complements the long-range systems already gifted, including HIMARS and Harpoon missiles, as well as Ukraine's own Neptune cruise missiles and longer-range munitions already gifted. Uh, a little bit about the Storm Shadow. So the Anglo-French developed Storm Shadow missile, known in France as the Scalp EG, has a range in excess of 250 kilometers, or 155 miles, and is particularly effective against hardened and buried targets, according to the manufacturer. The donation of Storm Shadow missiles, many of which are already in Ukraine, means the British are the first nation to supply Kiev with long-range weapons. Here's another quote from... Uh, Mr. Wallace, uh, he described the government's decision as calibrated, proportionate response to Russia's escalation in its invasion of Ukraine. These systems are not in the same league as a Russian AS-24 Killjoy hypersonic missile or Shahed Iranian one-way attack drones or their caliber cruise missile with a range of over 2,000 K, which is roughly seven times that of a storm shadow missile, Wallace said. Um, Wallace said technical hurdles integrating the weapon onto Soviet on, onto Ukraine's Soviet era combat jets has been successfully overcome. Another quote from him, Mr. Wallace, having technically cleared the hurdles, and as everyone talks about expected counteroffensive, now is the right time to give these to Ukraine. They, the storm shadows, are now going into or are in the country, he said. Uh, the British have been signaling for months their intention to donate long-range weapons to Ukraine. And confirmation of the move comes ahead of the long-expected offensive by Kiev against Russian forces occupying parts of the country. There's a, there's that term offensive, counter-offensive, this, you know. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, it's part of a wider Western effort to strengthen Ukraine's deep strike capabilities, which has recently seen a British effort to procure missiles or rockets with a range of 100 to 300k and payloads between 20k, uh, 20kg and 490kg as part of an international funding arrangement. Uh, the Storm Shadow has been used extensively by the Royal Air Force, forced on Tornado Strike Jets, and more recently, the Typhoon Combat Jet. The weapon was rushed into operational use against Iraq in 2003, even though it was not officially in service at the time. Since then, has been used in the Middle East and Libya. Uh, almost done here. Storm Shadow is the second sophisticated Western air-to-ground weapon known to have been supplied to Ukraine since the Russian invasion got underway in late Feb of 2022. Last year, the United States integrated HARM AGM-88 missiles on Ukrainian MiG-29 and Su-27 warplanes in a matter of weeks to be able to strike Russian air defenses located in Ukraine. End of story. Uh, while we're talking about the British, here's a really good article I found um, from UK Defense Journal. Oh, I go to those folks for some good UK stories. This is by George Allison Tenmay, 
uh, Royal Air Force RAF began crew training for new armed drone. Uh, the Royal Air Force has initiated air crew training for the new Protector RG M Mark I MK1 remotely piloted aircraft system RPAS in the United States. So there's some air crew from UK in the United States. The first pilot sensor operators and mission intelligence coordinators will qualify to operate the Protector with 16 units ordered to replace the RAF's MQ-9A Reaper aircraft. This training is undertaken by the 54th Squadron at the GAASI Flight Test and Training Center in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Probably cold up there still. Uh, students will learn to fly and operate the aircraft, which boasts a 79-foot wingspan and will carry UK-made paveway bombs and brimstone missiles. This follows the graduation of the first RAF Protector technicians earlier in the year who will be responsible for maintaining the aircraft and its systems. A little bit about the training. The 12-week air crew training program includes both simulation and live flying with a focus on operating the Protector and its equipment. Trainees will gain experience in real-time exploitation of intelligence using multi-spectral targeting system and synthetic aperture radar. Um, there's this term MIC. What does that mean? He told us before. Uh, stand by. Oh, Mission Intelligence Coordinator. Okay, that's what it means. So the Mission Intelligence Coordinator, I lost my space. Okay, Mission Intelligence Coordinator who will participate in a six-week course will also learn how to operate the Mission Intelligence, Syst uh, Mission Intelligence Station, MIS. Equipped with a suite of advanced technology and precision strike weapons, the Protector RG Mark I will provide critical armed surveillance capabilities. The aircraft is designed for deployment against potential adversaries worldwide and can be flying busy, unsegregated airspace thanks to a detect and avoid technology. With an impressive endurance of over 40 hours, Protector marks a new era for, our, for the RAF, Royal Air Force, and global operations. Now, I didn't even know the UK had this, uh, the Protector RG Mark I replacing the Reaper, Mark uh, MQ-9A Reaper. So I did a little digging, and it turns out there's a article from Defense Post, which we like, from Rojef Manuel, who we've done a bunch of his stories, uh, from way back in October of, of 2022, a few months ago. And this article is UK receives first protector RG Mark I drone from General Atomics. So this is kind of related to the last story we just did. So I'll read, I'll go over that story. Again, older story, uh, October of 2022. Here we go. General Atomics has turned over the first Protector RG Mark I remotely piloted aircraft system to the UK Ministry of Defense. The drone's official transfer took place at Desert Horizon facility in El Mirage, California, where UK Defense Equipment and Support Combat Air Director Air Vice Marshal Simon Ellard welcomed the aircraft. Uh, he has a quote here. It was a great pleasure to accept the first protector aircraft off contract on behalf of the MOD, Ellard said. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward statement. Uh, another quote, while this aircraft will remain in the USA, it will be used to train RAF personnel with UK equipment and will be placed on the UK military register. So that first aircraft uh, will remain in the USA to train UK folks, and obviously that's the aircraft we just talked about up in North North Dakota. We're assuming, we're connecting the dots here. 
the delivery follow continue with the article. The delivery follows the completion of the protector's two-month acceptance test procedures led by the company and the defense ministry. The tests include a series of inspections and evaluation of the drone's hardware during operations according to the technical requirements and functional specifications. The protector is currently under assessment against rigorous safety certification standards of the, UA, of the UK and NATO for it to achieve full operational clearance in civil, civilian airspace. The aircraft is expected to be delivered in 2023 at the UK Royal Air Force Base in Waddington, Lincolnshire. The completion of its certification will follow in 2024. The protector offers a flight of up to 40 hours. Endurance, it will replace the Air Force's MQ-9 Reaper for intelligence, surveillance, targeting, and, rec and reconnaissance missions. It will also support civilian agencies in the UK in disaster response and search and rescue operations. And there's a, a quote here from Royal Air Force Program Senior Manager Commodore Alex Hicks. Uh, the acceptance of the first protector aircraft is significant and exciting milestone in the delivery of this world-class capability to the Royal Air Force. This, uh, the aircraft will be used to train RAF technicians on how to maintain the capability prior to the arrival of the first aircraft in the UK next year. So, uh, sounds like everything went as planned because we went to a time machine back to October 12th of 2022 and now here we are, May 11th of 2023, and it sounds like everything they wanted to happen has kind of happened. So good job to the UK uh, for making that stuff happen. All right. So we go to Australia or Germany. I forgot we had an Australian story. We'll go to Australia later. Let's go to Germany. Uh, what do we want to talk about with Germany? We've got two stories. We'll talk about Chinooks because the Germans are going to get some Chinooks. We'll stick with aircraft for now, if I can find it. Okay, here we go. Breaking defense. Uh, Lee Farron, 12 May, um, 11 May today. UK clears 8.5 billion Chinook sale to Germany, skis included. Uh, the U United States government today approved a potential sale of 60 CH-47F Chinook helicopters and related equipment to Germany and a deal worth up to an eye-watering $8.5 billion. The proposed sale will improve Germany's heavy lift capability, the State Department said. Germany intends to use this enhanced capability to strengthen its homeland defense and deter regional threats. I wonder if this is part of the Defense Security Cooperation Agency. I did not check it today. Anyway, let me move on with the article. Ber Berlin announced in June of 22 that it had chosen Chinook for its future heavy lift capability beating out Lockheed Martin Sikorsky CH-53 case King Stallion. The competition for the heavy lift helo had been canceled once before in 2020 because Germany thought Boeing and Lockheed's offerings were too expensive, according to Defense News. Uh, here's a quote from the Defense Ministry, the German Defense Ministry. With this model, we are strengthening our ability to cooperate in Europe. It's modern, proven, and already being used by NATO partners. The German Defense Ministry tweeted in June. In January, Reuters reported the German government had allocated some $6.4 billion for the buy, but cited another report claiming the price had ballooned to potentially more than $12 billion. Today's announcement suggests the price did not jump as high as feared, because the price now, we just were told, was $8.5 billion. And that's it. End of story.
So they're getting how many Chinooks? Does it say? Did I miss something? 60 Chinooks. There you go. That's quite a bit. Uh, while we're on Germany, there's another story for, from German, for Germany, from Germany. This is about uh, ground stuff, uh, infantry fighting vehicles. So, okay, Defense News, 10 May, Sebastian Springer, S-P-R-E-N-G-E-R, Defense News, German lawmakers grant $1.6 billion for 50 Puma fighting vehicles. German lawmakers have approved a defense ministry request to order 50 Puma infantry fighting vehicles for more than $1 billion, buying into the government's proposition that purchase bears risk, but is necessary to fulfill NATO obligations Excuse me, by 2027. Let me read that paragraph again. Okay, they're going to buy 50 Puma infantry fighting vehicles for more than $1 billion, buying into the government's proposition that the purchase bears risks but is necessary to fill, fulfill NATO obligations by 2027. That was me like they're unsure. Uh, parliamentary appropriators voted in favor of the request during a 10 uh, May meeting Two days before an offer of manufacturers Rheinmetall and Krauss Mafia Wegman was set to expire, uh, this is from Defense Minister Boris Pistorius told reporters following the panel session. The total financial commitment is $1.6 billion, according to the German media. That amount includes spares and uh, includes spares and $140 million for the anticipated price increase because the vendor's original offer hails from December of 2021, Business Insider reported. The Bundestag's approval also entails an option for another tranche of 179 vehicles to the tune of 4.8 billion. That's euro, though. So they're getting 50 for one billion dollars, and if they want 179 more, that's 4.8 billion. That doesn't sound bad, actually. I'm uh, moving on. Uh, after quickly ordering the new authorized 50 vehicles, defense. Leaders now hope to move forward that the second option later this year, Pistorius said. The Bundeswehr already has about 350 Pumas designed as a centerpiece vehicle for the service's mechanized forces as the 50-year-old martyr fleet ages out. Uh, Pistorius described the newer vehicle as a quantum leap over the older weapon system as it provides better protection, lethality, and mobility. Germany is on the hook to contribute five battalions worth of forces available by NATO's force pool by 2027, he said in Berlin on Wednesday, which means time of the essence than ordering new ones. 2027, that's four years away. He wants to contribute five battalions, basically a brigade plus, and they probably want to you know, have good stuff, right? Obviously. So at the same time, the modern infantry fighting vehicle has a history of wobbly performance that officials thought they had overcome until all 18 vehicles involved in an exercise broke down late last year. Defense officials have since blamed most of the failures on training and handling, siding with the Army's push to stick with the vehicle. Huh. We have a requirement for the Puma, especially given the new security situation. Pistorius said, referring to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He acknowledged that risk remained in the program, describing the appropriator's funding approval as trust advance granted to defense minister and vendors. I guess the U.S. Army 
comparing this to the U.S. Army, has been darn lucky with the Bradley and the Striker, and even we'll throw the Humvee in there. Uh, those vehicles have been around, I mean, how long? Since the 80s. The Striker's since 2000. So the Striker's like 25 years old, 23 years old, hanging tough, updated variants. The crews seem to like them. Uh, Bradley the same way. So they've had a good run. I mean, had a good run. Moving on. So that's the second Germany story. We'll get to the, let's do the Australia story before we get to the United States. I can find the Australia story. Okay, here we go. Breaking defense. Max Blinken, B-L-E-N-K-I-N, 9 May. Australian budget, historic defense spending, plus Australian $1.2 billion on U.S.-made missiles. So I think a lot of this money is going to be in Australian, some in U.S. I hope I don't mess it up too bad. Okay, today here's the, here's the story. Today's rollout of the Australian, and this is from 9 May, so a couple of days ago. Today's rollout of the Australian budget shows the Australian Defense Force has big plans to buy U.S.-made long-range strike capabilities. Long-range strike capabilities. Now, where have we heard that before? Moving on. As Canberra pursues a strategy to deny adversary easy access to Australia's area of interest. Overall, the defense budget for the next year is set at uh, $52.58 billion Australian dollars or U.S. $35 billion. So that Australia spends $35 billion on defense. Not much compared to the United States, obviously. But anyway, uh, the first time funding has ever exceeded, exceeded $50 million Australian dollars. Hmm. That amounts to 2.04% of GDP, gross domestic product. Defense spending of 2% of national GDP is an imperfect but widely used benchmark for the adequacy of a nation's commitment to national defense. That's a pretty good quote right there, or a pretty good sentence. Defense spending of 2% of national GDP is an imperfect but widely used benchmark for the adequacy of a nation's commitment to national defense. Uh Back to the article, just how over, overwhelmingly reliant Australia is on U.S. sourced munitions is clear from the budget unveiled Tuesday. Uh, for 2020, for 23 to 24, the ADF disclosed its plans to spend a U.S. $8.3 billion or Australian $12.3 billion on new equipment, of which Australian dollars is 1.2 or just under 15% of the total budget will be spent on American precision American precision guided munitions. That's not that much, to be honest with you, to me. But moving on, those missiles to be equipped with Australian warships, combat aircraft, and land forces will be acquired through U.S. foreign military sales systems. Among key plan buys, there are five uh, five-year totals, and there are one, two, three. He lists four. I'm only going to go over two. Uh, here's one: the Australian plans to Australia plans to acquire war and training stocks of AIM 9X and AIM 120D air-to-air missiles for F-35 and Super Hornet aircraft. Uh, 135 million Australian dollars will be spent in 2023 to 24, and almost 1 billion of Australian dollars will be spent over five years. And the second one I'll go over is Australia is also planning to acquire additional stocks of small diameter bombs. And 500 1,000-pound guided bombs. Uh, 172 million Australian dollars will be spent in 23 to 24. 
and 810 million Australian dollars will be spent over five years. Australia's problem is that it, it manufactures no PGMs, precision guided munitions, though it has ambitions to change that. And there's potential Canberra can, could be for a long wait. United, U.S. manufacturers like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and Raytheon are running at full production for, to restock inventories depleted by the war in Ukraine for both the United States and other allies. Uh, how much more of the article? Almost done. Three more paragraphs. Four. The Australian Defense Force's largest single equipment project remains an acquisition of a fleet of 72 F-35 aircraft. F-35As. The F-35A, of course, is the uh, like the Air Force version for runways and stuff. Uh, with the last dozen to be delivered in the next year. Total cost of this long-running project is Australian dollars 16.4 billion with a B. Uh, with 870 million Australian dollars to be spent in 23 to 24. Looks like they're almost done buying them. Uh, it's not just weapons that Australia is looking to invest in. The country plans to buy American tanks, 75M1A2 Abrams main battle tanks, plus 52 combat, combat engineering vehicles to replace an older fleet of 59M1A1 tanks. Ahead of the release of the recent Australian Defense Strategic Review, there was speculation that this project could face reduction or even cancellation. While there was no surprise, while there was surprise that the project survived, the budget spells out the reason why. It's simply too far along to stop now. These vehicles enter full rate production in the United States this year with uh, 700 million, I'm sorry, 971 million Australian dollars of the total 2.283 billion Australian dollars budget to be spent in 23-24. So too big to fail. Uh, Australian Defense Minister Richard Marlis said defense spending as a proportion of GDP will lift above its current trajectory to be 0.2% higher by 2032 to 33. By then, Australia will be well on its way to acquiring nuclear-powered submarines on the AUKUS agreement, which we kind of went in depth a month or two ago on that. Uh, good story, though. Who wrote this? Mr. Max Blinken, good story about Australia. Always enjoy a story from Australia and New Zealand. Okay, let me pause right there. Okay, two stories left, both from the United States. So, one's Javelin. We'll start with Javelin. So, Breaking Defense, Ashley Roquet, great writer. Uh, Army and Javelin Joint Venture, Inc., three-year deal valued over $7 billion. Uh, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon team aim to produce 3,960 missiles per year by 2026 for the Army and to support increased international interest for the multi-purpose weapon system. This is company VP Dave Pontano said. Uh, at a time when the Army is looking to ways to ramp up weapon production and increase stockpiles, it is now taking steps to secure Javelin production line through a new three-year deal worth up to $7.2 billion U.S. So three-year deal worth $7.2 billion for Javelin missiles, what does that tell you? Uh, important missile, important weapon system, uh, sent a ton over to Ukraine. So the fact they're spending a lot of money on the Javelin shows you how important the Javelin is. Moving on. So the service announced a new contract with Javelin Joint Venture composed of Lockheed Martin Raytheon on Wednesday. 
this is an older story, so this is last Wednesday, and said the new in, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, I think that's called IDIQ, agreement will uh, span FY23 to 26. 20, so that's 23, 24, 25, 26. Four-year deal. While the deal could ultimately reach 7.2 billion ceiling, the initial base order for an unspecified number of javelins is valued at 1 billion. Uh, here's a quote from our friend Doug Bush, who we really like. The Army, along with industry partners, are striving to shorten the production lead time associated with production and delivery of these systems, Doug Bush, head of service acquisition, said in a press release. This contract award further illustrates the urgency the U.S. government is applying to the acquisition of systems or replenishing munitions stockpiles. I mean, he just got away with words. He just said in a nice way what I just said earlier. Uh, in a statement today, the companies said that to date they have produced more than 50,000 Javelin missiles and 12,000 reusable command launch units, also known as CLUES, and have plans to ramp up missile production so they can produce 3,960 missiles per year by late 26. Uh, as the service and venture move out of the new contract, the Army is seeking $200 million for 354 Javelin missiles and 187 launchers in FY24, a decrease from FY23, total for $432 million. Uh, that is attributed to supplemental funding to increase production capacity according to 24 budget justification documents. Almost done. Uh, as of February, the development and flight testing of the FGM-148G, also known as the future Javelin G model, had, has been paused for months following a test failure. It's not immediately clear if the work has been restarted. Um, these are up, upgraded uh, plans for a new Javelin. Uh, let's see. There's going to be a lightweight clue, of course, lightweight clam launch unit. And the new model will have, the new Javelin will have safe, improvement in safety, uh, system safety, reliability, affordability, producibility, and addressing obsolescence. Uh, upgrading plans include the development of a new missile to be formally designated the FGM-148G to strike armored targets up to 2,500 meters and a new lightweight clue. Uh, even though the lightweight clue development is pressing on, Army spokesman told Breaking Defense the service is eyeing accelerated production with the goal of making production decision around the 20, January to March 2024 time frame in order to field the new launcher in 25. So I guess the new lightweight clue is not fielded yet. They're going to field it in 25, which is, man, that's still a couple years away. Anyway, more javelins are on the way, though. All right, last story. This is a long story. Let you know we're at 31 minutes. Uh, this is an IVAS story, also from Ashley Roquet. She's getting all the uh, good stories. Breaking defense, 10 May. I think uh, we have Secretary of the Army quotes in here and the Honorable Doug Bush quotes in here. This is a really good article. So. Stick with me. It's kind of long. This is the IVAS. If you follow the podcast, you know that we're interested in the IVAS. 30 seconds here. The IVAS is part of the Soldier Lethality uh, cross-functional team out of Fort Benning. Oh, not Fort Benning anymore. Fort Moore, Georgia. They changed today. Um, it's one of the 34, 31 plus 4, you might hear it termed, Army Futures Command Priorities uh, IVAS. And it's kind of, uh, it's had some 
Let's be honest. It's had some difficulty, and we'll we'll kind of address that. Uh, potentially, could be on its last leg. We'll see. Well, this the article starts off with "Last Stand for IVAS?" Question mark. New challenges, delays as the Army debates future of the augmented reality goggles. Uh, Ashley Roquet, 10 May. As Army leaders make the rounds on Capitol Hill, they're carrying a stark message about the integrated visual augmentation system, also known as IVAS. This is the service's struggling would-be heads-up display of the future on its last is on its last chance. <clears throat> Over the past several years, the Army's foray, foray with Microsoft in militarizing the HoloLens 2 heads-up display would not be considered smooth. Soldiers have shunned the technology and operational tests due in part to software glitches and physical side effects. Despite initial plans to spread the technology across the service, leaders have limited initial fielding to 10,000 IVAS units while it works with the company to overhaul the hardware's design, which you'll see as we get further in the article. That's not even a guarantee. I'm going to pause right there for one second. Okay, here's a quote. first quote from Secretary of the Army, Christine Warmoth. If Congress gives us the money that we've requested for IVAS in this year's budget, we're going to use that to work with Microsoft to get the system to a place where our soldiers will want to use it. Army Secretary Christine Warmoth told Senators on 2 May, and if Microsoft isn't able to do that, we will not develop the program further. We're not going to spend $22 billion on a system that doesn't work. That's a quote. Of course, the Honorable Doug Bush, the head of Army's head of acquisition, made a similar vow and promised that he is prepared to admit failure if IVAS testing does not prove very quickly that it's capable and is going to get us what we need. The Army is absolutely prepared to end the arrangement and seek a new competition, uh, Bush told Senators during the April 18 hearing. Uh, Secretary of the Army Warmoth and Doug Bush did not detail when the service plans to make that critical determination on the path ahead. But in an exclusive interview, two key program officials told Breaking Defense that there are a number of benchmarks laid out internally that will help decide the, the program's future. Among the new information laid out by officials, and they've got some here, and I'll go over all of it. Number one, the Army has 5,000 units of IVAS 1.0, early iteration, but is unable to distribute them due in part to a budget shortfall. Real quick. Let me catch the audience up here. So the Army's got three different versions of this IVAS. They've been messing around with it for, I don't know, five years, six years. The first variant's called 1.0. It's not a very great variant, but it's it's a variant. They've got 5,000 of these, supposedly. The idea was that they're not good enough to deliver to the operational force, a unit that's going to go to war, but they're good enough to give to a training unit. The institutional army, which is the schoolhouses, you know, Fort Moore, anywhere the, the the training, the training base, and the recruiters for some reason. So the idea is to give five thousand of them. Concurrently, in parallel, they're developing a one point two, no, no, one point one, which is an improvement over one point and I think they're going to make five thousand of these one point one. The idea is to field those to the operational force, supposedly to striker brigades, not light fighters, but striker brigades. And then, also in parallel, concurrently, they're developing a 1.2. And supposedly the 1.2 is going to be the good one, the deployable one. They're going to give it to light fighters 
you know, 82nd Airborne Division, 10th Mountain Division, all the light units will get this. That's the idea. So now let me get back to the article. So the Army has 5,000 units of the IVAS 1.0, early iteration, but un unable to distribute them, due in part to a budget short shortfall. I mean, they got the bread to, to send them out. Uh, is now determining if there is a pathway for limited fielding to occur before lawmakers decide on 2024 funding. Okay, next. Microsoft has completed a new software release for IVAS 1.0 and 1.1, and a test report should be finalized this month. Microsoft has found a new low-light camera for the 1.1 version, and the service is aiming to have it ready for soldiers by the end of 2024. Remember, the 1.1 will go to, like, the striker brigades. Um, when they say low-light camera, remember this IVAS has got a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's got a thermal uh, it's got thermal and it's got uh, I2, uh, basically night vision. So it can be kind of blended. You can have an I2 uh, image intensifier, I think it's called, like night vision, traditional night vision, if that's a tradition, and thermal. So I think that's what they mean by low light camera. Moving on, I think. Uh, so, if IVAS 1.1 testing is excess, the service anticipates sending 62,000 for each unit, a 33% increase over the price of 1.0. So, if the 1.0 that's going to the schoolhouse is whatever. The 1.1 going to the strikers is 62,000, so 33% more. Uh, moving on. The larger IVAS redesign on the 1.2 effort is ongoing, and the service plans to begin testing a prototype later this year with the goal of having it ready for soldiers toward the end of 2025. The IVAS 1.2 design, the, supposedly the best one, will move the computer puck from the soldier's chest to the back of the helmet, but it will weigh more than older designs. Ultimately, the program may be on its last strike, but the capability could be so game-changing for the Army that the service is trying to make it work. And I have to agree with that because it is if they can make this sucker work it's going to be really good but the technology might it's just might not be ready yet you know it might just not be there uh, but they're learning a lot of good stuff from it anyway moving on i've asked problems became public in 2021 after the army concluded it had gotten ahead of itself by issuing microsoft a production contract just weeks before discovering the technology was not ready for soldiers the service announced it would delay fielding from 2021 <clears throat> until 22 to make hardware and software fixes. However, those changes were not enough, and an operational test with the device in mid-2022 found that software glitches, glitches persisted. More concerning, soldiers continued to complain about the physical side effects from wearing the device. Nausea and dizzy, dizziness and about its night vision capability. Uh, again, the Army tried to revamp the program and laid out a larger restructure initiative where it would buy 5,000 units of the existing device called IVAS 1.0 and field those to the schoolhouse and recruiters by August of 2023, which is like in a few months, approximately two years later than initially planned. At the same time, it would make software changes and add in a new low-light camera for IVAS 1.1 in order to acquire 5,000 for non-light infantry units such as striker units in the late 2023 to 24 time frame while working on the massive form factor overhaul for 1.2. That's kind of a good summary of what I told you before. 1.0, 1.1, and 1.2. And yet, while IVAS 1.0, 1.1, 1 
was supposed to be fielded by August. 5,000 units are sitting in storage with no clear plan for distribution, according to the project manager for Soldier Warrior, Colonel Troy Denomi, and IVAS product manager, Lieutenant Colonel Danny Dresch. The two w- walked breaking the fence through the state of play from their vantage point during a 5 May interview. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, no, Colonel Troy Denomi said that while the services accepted all 5,000 IVAS 1.0 units, his shop has not fielded a single one, in part because it has not been told where to send those initial devices. I mean, come on, I I can figure that out myself. Um, Anyway, additionally, since lawmakers concerned about the health of the program prompted them to zero out all FY23 procurement dollars, there isn't money to field those devices. I'll read that again. Additionally, since lawmakers' concern about the health of the program prompted them to zero out all FY23 procurement dollars, there isn't money to field those devices. The Army's Army's 24 budget request, currently being vetted by lawmakers, includes nearly $90 million for IVAS procurement and millions more for research and development work next year. Lawmakers approve that $90 million procurement figure. The service will not buy additional IVAS devices, but instead use it to field IVAS 1.0 and eventually 1.1. And there's 5,000 of the 1.0 and there's 5,000 of the 1.1. So they can use that $90 million to field it. Uh, however, if lawmakers reduce that figure, zero it out, or fail to pass the spending bill, IVAS will likely remain in storage and, un- and realistically given the challenges to the programs and the already in the works upgrades may never leave. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, I think it's Dresch, right? I don't want to mess his name up. Yep, Lieutenant Colonel Danny, Denny Dresch. Uh, here's a quote here from him. Lieutenant Colonel Dresch said, the Army's planning to host an operational test with the 1-1 version in the second quarter of FY24, and if improvements are adequate and funding is in place, those the additional 5,000 units could potentially be in soldiers' hands before FY24 ends, on 30 September of 24, of course. Uh, while worked, while work to move the 1.1 is progressing, the per-unit price tag has been edging up. The per-cost unit of 1.0 hovered around $46,000, while well, each of the 1-1 versions will cost t- taxpayers $62,000. Uh, this sharp increase is due to the contract negotiations, the fact the Army plans to buy two-thirds fewer systems than previously planned while in the works of the 1.2 version. Uh, he noted it is not clear what the price tag target price will be for the future 1.2 version, in part because development is still ongoing. Shall we talk about why... Things weren't going so well for it. Um, stand by. Let me see if I want to pull that up. Yeah, we'll cover that. Uh, so soldiers using the, the initial IVAS form factor had a lot to say about the device. The problem is the feedback was not good. And the ops demo, the infantry company, I think this is the 1.0 version. So to be fair, this is the 1.0 version. And the ops demo, the infantry company was more successful accomplishing their operational missions with the current equipment than with the IVAS 1.0. I think we talked about this. Uh, in other words, they're using their old PVS-14s and, and 
you know, that's what they're using. So soldiers hit fewer targets, engage targets more slowly with IVAS than with the current equipment on the buddy team live fire range. And the buddy team live fire range, let's be honest, is that's not a technical range. That's as basic as it gets. Uh, additionally, while using IVAS 1.0, the majority of soldiers reported at least one physical impairment like disorientation, dizziness, eye strain, headaches, motion sickness, nausea, neck strain, and tunnel vision. Uh, soldiers cited IVAS 1.0, poor light performance, display quality, cumbersome, poor reliability, inability to distinguish friend from foe, difficulty shooting, physical impairments, limited peripheral vision as reasons for their dissatisfaction. Pentagon Chief Weapons Testing Office added. The Army is seeking to remedy most of those problems with the 1.2 version redesign and potentially have it ready for fielding toward the end of 2025 if things go smoothly. Uh, so finally, we're almost, this, I tell you this is a long article, but we're almost done. So what are the big changes between IVAS 1.0, 1.1, and 1.2? She's reading, she, the, Ashley's reading everybody's mind. For starters, the heads-up display is a complete revamp. The early iterations have a helmet-like display, not easy to remove, and provides them with a 70-degree field of view. In contrast, the redesign will shrink the field of view to 60 degrees, based on a flat display against the face that has hinges so soldiers can flip it up. Uh, the trade that we provided in that was to reduce the field of view a little bit, but the benefit was improved clarity of the display and more in line with the user's eyes. For the 1.0, 1.1 version, soldiers wear the computer puck on their chest. That puck is being moved to the back of the helmet for the 1.2 version to provide a better center of gravity that will not make soldiers feel front heavy. Uh, as a result of this move, Microsoft was able to re reduce the length of the cord connecting the puck to the heads-up display, which should improve connectivity between the two. Last couple paragraphs. Improvements to the thermal camera are also in the works to provide soldiers with better clarity while demanding less battery power. Uh, all of these changes are expected to slightly drive up the weight of IVAS 1.2, but provide soldiers with a capability that better fits their body. For now, the new design's weight is around 3.4 pounds, but the companies and service are shaving that down gram by gram with the goal of reaching 2.9 pounds just above the weight of the concurrent current configuration that sits at 2.4 pounds and that's probably enough end of story so you got it latest and greatest on IVAS uh, I guess follow the money if Congress is not convinced then there's no do re me for the IVAS and it won't be procured and it won't be researched developed but I'm sure there's maybe it's an idea whose time is just not ready and that's it. 46 minutes, a little bit longer than I wanted to go tonight, but uh, I hadn't done a show in a while. It's been on my mind, and I did the research. I just couldn't pull it off yesterday. So I'm glad I was able to get something done today. So that's it. I think we're episode 121 in the books. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you this weekend. I plan on doing a show definitely this weekend. Uh, so anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening, uh, and good night.